Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 23rd, 2018. The share ID numbers for Friday, December 21st are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,327, that's 12327. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,328, that's 12328. Today, A Vision for You presents Chapter 5, How It Works. We come to Overeaters Anonymous looking for a way out, a solution which will free us from the bondage, pain, and suffering of our affliction. The way we manage our own lives brings us to the end of our rope. We hit bottom. Our ways and our efforts fail us. We admit that all our resources, energy, knowledge, willpower, and desire have not delivered the hoped-for results. Lack of power is our dilemma. We have to find a power greater than ourselves. Recovery requires revolutionary and drastic proposals. We are going to make a decision and take some actions that will lead us into the realm of the spirit. The 12 steps are introduced in Chapter 5, how it works, of the AA Big Book with these words. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Our path is the 12 steps. OA stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of food. Our experience of powerlessness becomes the driving force of desperation to be ready and willing to do anything which will free us from the bondage of our affliction. Joining us today to speak on Chapter 5, How It Works, is Patrick B., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Patrick is committed to living our 12-step way of life and to carrying this message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Patrick. Good morning, all. Oh, you sound great. Thank you. Um, and I just, my name's Patrick, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I just want to express my gratitude to each and every one of you who is on this line for my abstinence today and um, to the God of my understanding for this way of life that uh, that I get to live. I had a really wonderful holiday day yesterday, and I woke with a deep sense of gratitude for a, a kind, loving, higher power and abstinence and sobriety and um, just the life that I get to live. So with that... Um, I spent a fair amount of time in what I thought was recovery in our grandfather fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, reading how it works, working what I thought to be a good program. And from year about three of my sobriety to year 11, I gained 150 pounds. Um, so I come to this chapter with a perspective of having entered uh, Overeaters Anonymous in, in August of 2015 and, and gaining abstinence in that month as well. Um, from a perspective of a guy who really thought he was doing um, what he was supposed to do, but was actually living in what 
um, in the doctor's opinion, um, he, he says, um, and I'm using a fourth edition, by the way, uh, in the doctor's opinion, he writes, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by food. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, I was admitting it was injurious. I was type 2 diabetic. I, was, uh, I had a uh, triple bypass on my heart at five years, in, at five years sober from alcohol and, and continued to eat and put on weight. Uh, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented and unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few bites, bites which they see others taking with impunity. Um, I, that was certainly the case with me. Um, I, I, I really did thought, think that I was... Um, living a a, uh, a a spiritual life, and what I found out was is as as I came to Overeaters Anonymous and I began to look at this work with the help of a recovered overeater, um, how it works took on a whole new meaning for me, because I realized that that <clears throat> that there, there there's this notion I think in recovery circles at times. For me, I hear I will hear people say in in our fellowship, uh, "Well, I took my will back," and it's my contention that if you truly give your will to God in step three, you don't get it back. And that's a concept that that I've had some interesting conversations around, because people the the belief system is as well because I relapsed or because I did this thing, I took my will back. I would propose to you that the pain that, that that action causes is an indication that you're going against God's will and that you don't get your will back, you're just acting out of that, um, if that makes sense. So when I read um, this first paragraph and how it works, and, and Leah touched on it initially, down in, in at the at the towards the bottom of the paragraph there it says their chances are less than average. There are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. And the thing that I had to develop the capacity to be honest about was that I was suffering from another grave emotional and mental disorder, and that was compulsive overeating. I really thought I was in recovery, but I wasn't. I was abstinent from drinking for 11 years. Now, I still, um, as a matter of fact, I just picked up my 15-year my chip in AA because I didn't drink, and, and I was sober, and I was doing the best I could, and I did help people. I sponsored many men. Many people will report to you that, that I was helpful to them. But there was always this deep sense of I'm not living authentically. And... It wasn't until I was introduced to Overeaters Anonymous and I really began to do this work from this perspective that I began to feel like I was living in authentic recovery. And I think that that's, you know, hopefully that's the goal for everyone is to live in authentic recovery. Our, our chips say, to thine own self be true. Um, and obviously that's not, hopefully that's in a selfless way and not in a selfish way. But I I do believe that I am being true to myself when I say that I lived in what I thought was a recovered state of mind um, 
as a, as a mentor of mine in AA put it, I was asleep dreaming I was awake. So these words in, in how it works take on new meaning for me in the last three years and particularly even more recently as I've worked through them with, with a sponsee in OA. Um, when I when when I talk about a grave and emotional mental disorder, I always used to think that that was people who suffered from depression or anxiety or 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 other mental health diagnoses. And and my thankfully my sponsor took me to page 52 in We Agnostics to the description of the spiritual malady there, and and said you know ask yourself how much of this is true in your life today. Were we having trouble with personal relationships? Well, yes. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't maintain a relationship with a significant other. My, my relationship with my family was is that I isolated a lot. I participated at a minimum level. Now, this is at 10 and 11 years sober in AA, and I'm supposed to be a, a contributing member of my family, but because of my compulsive overeating, I can't do that. We couldn't control our emotional natures. I swung a lot. Uh, there were days when I was okay, and there were days when all I, the best I could do were, were, was pull the covers over my head. We were a prey to misery and depression. I think that speaks for itself. We couldn't make a living. I never had a sense of purpose in my work. Now, I could work and earn a living, but I never had a sense of deep purpose or fulfillment from my work. I do now. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Even though I was helpful to people, I don't know that I was of real help because I wasn't. I was. I was. I was giving an opinion about an experience that I hadn't had yet. I hadn't executed all the actions of the twelve steps. I had read the book. I had memorized the the words. I had spoke um, eloquently in many settings. I was. I was asked to travel and and speak about about recovery. I was able to get up and look really really good in front of a a, a group of people. But then I would go home and, and crack the ice cream or, or whatever, and I knew deep down there was something deeper going on. And so that next paragraph in, in We Agnostic where it says, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. In the summer of 2015, I, it was to the point where I was dying of compulsive overeating, just as I had almost of alcoholism. And I had to stop doubting the power of God because it kept ringing in my head that I have to go to OA. I have to go to OA. Um, on page 53, you know, when, it, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Why? Well, Fortunately, I was able to choose God and, and recovery, and I showed up uh, at a face-to-face -face OA meeting here in, in Minneapolis um, in St. Louis Park and, and was sort of not so nicely confronted by some very loving people about the nature of my condition and what might be required in order for me to recover. And it turns out that the first thing I had to change was what I was putting in my mouth. Funny how that works. Um, so I, back to, to how it works, I started to look at this work from a different perspective. And particularly this paragraph on the first page where it's a, is, at some of these we balked. Well, it turned out I had balked at quite a bit of this. We thought we could find an easier, softer way. And for me, that was avoiding 
um, 10, 11, and 12 at any cost. And and I, I mean, I would conditionally pray. I call it the backup prayer. I get in my car and I say, hey, chief, help me out today. And I back the car out and off I go in my day with self-will run riot. I mean, just, you know, absolutely living in a way that doesn't represent the principles of of the 12 steps or, or recovery, um, but but claiming that I am a recovered member of, of our grandfather fellowship. Uh, some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until I left go absolutely. The, the idea that I was doing the deal was the idea that I had to let go absolutely because the evidence of my life began to scream that that just simply was not true. Now, I do believe that this was intended for me. I'm not, I, I don't in any way regret um, my path into OA. I am profoundly grateful I found it. I may have some questions for my HP if I ever get to the pearly gates, but we'll save that conversation for another day. Um, what what began to really come come to me was was these instructions on page 60 of how it works where it says the ABCs you know and and then there's that paragraph that says being convinced we being convinced of what well of a B and C are you convinced of a B and C and 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 what what my sponsors pointed out to me was that you're convinced by a demonstration of your actions, not your intentions or your words. It's what you will continue to do after these instructions that will indicate that you are convinced. Um, because I was more than willing to give lip service to the idea that I was convinced that I was powerless, but what I was doing with food was, was indicating that that just simply wasn't the case. Uh, being convinced we are at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? Well, yeah. I, what do I do? I, you know, I'm, I'm here I am, a, 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 a fairly, you know, a double-digit member of another fellowship, believing that I've turned my life and my will over to the care of God, and I'm living an active, addictive life in, 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 in this area of, of my, my, my food consumption. Um, and and I can't shake the idea that that you know I've done something wrong. And the truth is, what what the you know the, the reality is is I simply have another allergy. I have a physical allergy to sugar. I have a physical allergy to white flour. And and it took a recovered member of Overeaters Anonymous to get me off the idea that I had somehow behaved badly, and to point out the fact that Patrick, is it possible that you have two conditions, right? That you have you have this spiritual malady and that it manifests in two different allergies in your life. Oh, well, there's, you know, gee, there's a concept. Um, so the, 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 the line that it says, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are always almost in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. My motives were good for years. But until I got to Overeaters Anonymous and began to actually look at some of these things, I, you know, I was eating for the delusion of comfort. That's what I was doing. 
I thought it made me feel better. And the truth is, is all it did was cause me trouble. And that's, I go back to the doctor's opinion. I cannot differentiate the true from the false. And I can't do that from a position of, of putting down what I thought was the major problem in my life, something that nearly killed me, which is beverage alcohol. So this is, this is, you know, for me, it's critical that I, that I, that I begin to really look at this in a new light. Um, on page 61, it says, you know, life would be wonder, wonder, wonderful and trying to make these arrangements, our actor may be sometimes quite virtuous. You know, I was quite virtuous in, in AA. I did try to do the deal. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I had people that were indicating to me that, well, Patrick, you know, there might be some holes in your game, but I poo-pooed that because I could spit a page number or a quote from the big book at them. You know, I had memorized information. I hadn't executed actions. Um, and, and for me, that, that's just so the key. Um, so, it, you know, it says here, what's, what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. Um, I became more and more isolated. And, and I, when I would, you know, I would put on my, my character coat when I left the door. I was the super spiritual AA dude who weighed, you know, 380 pounds. Um, and, it, you know, it said in, in here, the show doesn't come off very well. That show didn't come off very well. I was putting people off. Um, people were beginning to, to, to look at me in sort of um, kind of a, 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 a pitying manner because, you know, they could see what I couldn't. Um, and then it says he decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. That was certainly the case for me. Down at the bottom it says our, our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. I had developed a recovery ego. That's just the truth of it. I had entered into this thing thinking that there was some status to be achieved, that there was some place, that there was some sort of a, um, you know, that, that if you were at a podium in front of a bunch of people telling your story, that you had somehow achieved some level of, of, of accomplishment in the fellowship. And I was not living spiritually in any sense of the word. I was very eloquent from a, from a, from a, podium, I can certainly give you instructions how to do things on the, that I have absolutely no experience with, right? I can tell you to, to write your inventory every day, and I won't do it. I can, I can share with you the, the benefits of prayer and meditation that I haven't actually had, and, and I can conditionally sponsor people, but when it gets down to hard knocks with some of the situations in their lives, I really don't have enough experience spiritually to be of service to them. And I certainly don't have enough courage to tell them, I don't know, I can't help you with that. I am the guy that can help you with everything or thinks he can. And that's very damaging to people. I had to do many amends to many of the men that I sponsored in AA as a, as a, when, I, when I got to the ninth step in, in Overeaters Anonymous. I had to go back and clean up some, some real concerning stuff that I had uh, perpetrated in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, we go to page 62 where it says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred fears of, of fear, my fear was is that I wouldn't be accepted as I was. Self-delusion, I think that's evident in what I've spoken about already. I was certainly deluded. 
self-seeking and self-pity. Why me? Why do I have two afflictions? Why do I have to go to two fellowships? Why, 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 you know, 976, wham. Um, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. That was happening to me in the fellowship that I loved. I was stepping on people's toes because I was, you know, I, I was quote unquote, the big book thumper, right? And not that that's a negative term, but I was using the book pejoratively. I would tell you that if, if you had entered into our fellowship and hadn't done certain things by a certain time, you weren't really a member of AA, when, the, when, when that's obviously not what our traditions speak about. Um, and it wasn't until I came to OA and, and had things, some of this pointed out to me by a responsible recovered member of Overeaters Anonymous who was willing to poke holes in that recovery ego that I had developed that, that I really beca became to be able to see that. Um, sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that in some time in the past, I've made decisions based on self, A, with my, with, with, with my actions and, and compulsivity and disease around food and, and my refusal to do anything about it. I mean, I openly rejected help. I went to my doctors and said, you need to do better to treat these conditions that my obvious obesity and, and overeating was causing. You know, you've got a 385 pound man at six foot tall with type two diabetes and a heart condition standing in front of a doctor telling the doctor he needs to do better. How ridiculous is that? It's pure insanity, yet that's the level of delusion that I can live in. I think it's the medical people's fault that I'm not getting better. I'm not, I can't take any responsibility for how my life looks at that point, but as soon as you approach it with me, I'll start to spew recovery ego at you and just push you away. Um, so, you know, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. That was literally what was happening to me. I was so selfish around this idea that I had another problem um, that I, 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 it was, it was, it was killing me and I wouldn't let you next to the, to, to, you know, I wouldn't let you next to me enough to, to help me, um, see it, uh, above everything. We alcoholics must be rid of the selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. God showed up, um, for me at, at a, at a, at the 2015, um, international alcoholics anonymous convention when I couldn't walk more than a hundred feet uh, before I had to sit down, um, I certainly going outside was a challenge. It was it was hot and humid. I had to walk fair distances, and and the two people I was with were just absolutely frustrated at my inability to be mobile. Uh, my AA sponsor took one look at me and said, um, "We need to talk." Um, he's he, he lives out of out of Minneapolis, so we don't see each other often, and he hadn't really realized because I hadn't been transparent enough with him. Um, how serious my condition was. Um, and thankfully, almost immediately upon me getting home from that convention, um, he said, I'm not going to sponsor you if you don't do something. At that convention, I was 12-stepped by a responsible recovered member of Overeaters Anonymous who had the courage to um, I had known her as a, as a, I had seen her at other conventions. We, we, uh, I knew her husband who was an AA member. I did not know that she was in OA. I had always assumed she was in AA. And she sat down after we saw each other and, and asked me how I was doing. And, and, uh, and I told her I was fine. Like I always did. And, and she had the courage to tell me that I was full of shit. 
pardon my French, but that's exactly what she said. She looked me square in the eye and said, Patrick, and I'm so grateful for that today, that, that she had the courage to, to poke a hole in a recover a recovery ego. Um, there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore. My moral and philosophical conviction was that I was doing the right thing, and I wasn't. We could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. I really wanted to live in authentic recovery, but I couldn't get there until I addressed this compulsive eating. Uh, neither could we reduce our self-centeredness must by wishing or trying on our own power. Um, you know, first of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. I had been playing God with my recovery, what I thought was a recovery. I had been directing it. I, I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'm not going to put down the food. I'll quit tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I, I think they're in that paragraph just above what I just read. So our troubles we think are basically our, our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-run, will-run riot. Think of an extreme riot. I mean, riots are bad enough, but an extreme one, right? And, and, and what I encourage people to do is to look around your life and, and, and identify that one spot where there might be some chaos and ask yourself, does that look like a riot, and am I an extreme example of self-will in that situation? Because that's what, pe that, that's what my OA sponsor asked me to do. Patrick, I need you to look at your what you call your recovery life and, and ask yourself those questions. And listen, that's not what I signed up for. I, I came in here to just put the donuts down, you know. I didn't, I, I didn't want to be disturbed at that level of consciousness whatsoever. But that's what it required. Um, and then we go to, you know, now we were at step three. Many of us said to our maker, as we understand him, you know, God, I offer myself to thee. Had I really offered myself previously, I think I did the best I could when I did it. Um, and I don't think I was able to get my will back. And I think that's why I suffered so much. I kept living under the delusion, well, I'll just turn my will over again tomorrow. The truth is, is I had given my will to God my, in the second month of my sobriety in AA. And the reason I was in such pain and suffering is that God didn't give me my will back. I was resisting his will. And his will for me was that I live a fully recovered life and help other people and live selflessly to the best of my ability. That was his will for me. And I resisted that idea. But having given my will over, the resistance was futile because it caused me pain. The pain I experience is because I don't get my will back. It's because I'm not fulfilling God's will for me. It was evident to me what I needed to be. I always felt better when I was helping people. And I helped a lot of people in AA. I don't want to paint this as, a, as an all negative picture. But I'm speaking from my experience here with, with what I was experiencing in the midst of that. Many people will tell you, well, Patrick was great. He was awesome. And, and the truth was, is I was suffering. Now, I'm grateful God was able to use me to help people, but, boy, I, you know, I don't recommend this, this rodeo to anybody. Um, but I'm, I know there are others out there who experience it, so that's why I share it. Um, when, it says, when it says, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me, oh, that word with, he's not going to do it for me? Because that's, I, I had sort of a naive notion about the third step that God was going to do it for me. 
and it says with me. That means if we're going to build something, I might have to pick up a hammer and nails and some lumber and go to work. But I always wanted it done for me. I have that naive idea that, that God's just going to fix me without my participation. It, you know, God will fix me. I, he'll take the donut out of my hand. Uh, not so much. Um, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Well, what was his will for me? Well, his will for me was to live mind, body, and spirit. So if I'm not doing something about the food that I'm consuming, am I really living, you know, am I, am I really living in God's will, mind, body, and spirit? It turns out that, a, that, that the spirit can't live in a sick temple. Um, and my temple was ill. My physical self, my physical being was was obviously medically compromised by my chronic obesity. And I, ha I had this naive idea that my spirit was okay, and it just wasn't. I couldn't live authentically without being abstinent from overeating. And, and so, you know, this took on new meaning for me in Overeaters Anonymous, obviously. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could last abandon ourselves utterly to him. This was the one area of my life, my eating, my compulsive eating, that I hadn't been willing to give over. I hadn't abandoned myself utterly. I hadn't given over my, my life. And, and what that looks like now is, is, you know, I have people in my life that ask me, you know, how are how you doing at school? How you doing at work? I'm I'm in I'm enrolled in a master's course that I'm going to finish here this spring. How's school? You know, I'm 59 years old getting a master's. That'll indicate you the developmental gaps I've had in my life. Um, you know, how's school? How's work? How's your finances? They're asking me these, you know, rather pointed personal questions about every area of my life because I've given them spiritual license to do so. We have an agreement that, that we can lovingly and kindly ask each other about these areas of our lives without rancor or, or, or judgment just to make sure that we're all on the path in a way that, that, that is, is spiritually and, and, and centered towards the God of our understanding. Uh, we found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person. I needed a member of Overeaters Anonymous armed with the facts about herself to help me. It just couldn't have happened any other way. I had another disease and I had tried sort of turning my, my food consumption over as a member of that other fellowship. It just was never, I, I, I didn't understand that I had another allergy that I was, you know, I knew that something was going on with food that was similar to what I was doing with alcohol, but I just simply couldn't hook into the idea that, that, that the allergy kicked in every morning when I, you know, had a bowl of cereal that was full of, you know, added sugars. Um, so that, that, that was, when I took the third step in Overeaters Anonymous, it was with that understanding person, someone who had, who had taken me through, I'm a member of OA House, so I did the, the questions, and that was how we did the third step, is she walked me through that process. Um, it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. She completely understood what was going on. She'd seen people like me enter into the fellowship from other 12-step fellowships um, and, and got it. She, she knew. She, she'd been a lifelong member of, or a, a long-time member of OA 
here locally and and it, she she completely understood with what was going on and she allowed me to express the idea um in my own wording voicing it without reservation um and i did a feel a great effect i i i i i i uh, the effect that i felt was is that perhaps i actually could achieve what I believed and felt to be authentic recovery from these afflictions, that I could live in a manner that represented the God of my understanding's values, which is, you know, love and compassion and understanding and tolerance and willingness and, and, and helpfulness. That's basically a description of, of what I try to walk into the world today. Now, I got to tell you, I was at the Mall of America and there was <laughs> yesterday, which, which was absolute insanity on December 22nd. And, and my will and those values were having some interesting conversations. I did escape without doing any damage. And I got the things that I needed and had a nice dinner with some friends. So, um, you know, the program works, folks. I'm here to tell you. Because if I can do that at the Mall of America two days before Christmas, I can do it anywhere. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. That word vigorous appears in this book in only a couple of different contexts and it's always about inventory vigorous is always related to inventory and it's so it's not take your time it's not well you know i'm going to do a little today and it's vigorous the first step of which is a personal house cleaning which many of us never had and never attempted now i had attempted many house cleaning but i'd always left a couple of rooms dirty you know, have you ever started cleaning your house and got the vacuum out and it's sitting there the next day and you haven't vacuumed yet? That was me, right? That was me. I had attempted a personal house cleaning, but I hadn't been thorough, fearless and thorough about it because if I had, I would have seen and I would have been able to identify, um, you know, that I needed to 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 progress here. And again, I, I don't propose to you that any of this happened on my schedule it all happened on a divinely inspired schedule and i realized that my entry into overeaters anonymous was just to give the a bit my to you know god gave me an opportunity to perhaps help more people um that being said again i don't know that it's a rodeo that i certainly w was signing up for I, i'm not a volunteer i'm not a voluntary member i'm not going to tell you that i have a choice about this because i don't if i had a choice i'd be spending my sunday morning um you know participating in some other activity uh not that i don't love you people i do you guys have saved my life the point is 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 that i had to be driven here um and i had to get clear on that and i had to get clear on it with with the my experience not an opinion um so our de decision was a vital crucial and and i love this this is so important for all of us to understand was a though our decision was a vital and crucial step it could have little, little permanent effect unless once at once at once vigorous at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us you know my i have people in my life that will ask me are you making strenuous efforts right accountability are you making strenu strenuous efforts to improve that area of your life that we discussed last week um we use that language because it's the language in the text that we use to recover. Um, our, our, you know, our, our food was but a symptom we had to get down to causes and conditions. And the causes and conditions were is that I was deeply afraid of not having comfort in my life. I had 
food had probably been the first thing that I had used when I was a child to comfort myself in an alcoholic home. I grew up in an alcoholic home and I was witness to and victim of things that no child should be witness to or victim of. And I'm very clear that that's not why I'm an alcoholic or a compulsive overeater. I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater because I have a physical allergy to football, to, uh, excuse me, not to football. <laughs> I don't know why that came up, but to beverage alcohol and to food. Um, so many foods I have a physical allergy to. So that's why I'm an alcoholic. Now, I would have loved to report to you that I drank because of the environment I was in. But that didn't really fly at 40 years old because I was in control of my environment. Um, our liquor was but a symptom we had to get down to causes and conditions. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. And, and these instructions of how you know, to do inventory, I had done repeated inventories. But here was here was the, the, the thing that, that really made sense to me as I came into OA and and uh, and, and, and started this, this process was that resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. And the baseline resentment that that I had was that I had to live a disciplined spiritual life different from the ones that I saw other people living. That was my baseline resentment. And and I realized that I had begun almost immediately when I was working the steps the first time to parse out and to avoid certain spiritual tasks, daily tasks that it asks us to do in 10, 11, and 12. And I was always very attracted to these, to these um, heroes that I had who talked about living this way. And I would speak about living that way and then I would come home and look at a piece of paper and a pen on any given night and think, well, I should do my 10th step. And then my, my response is, well, I'll do it in my head. And as somebody in OA pointed out to me not too long ago, you know, that's like driving a bus with your eyes closed. Um, it's just not a very effective way to use the same mind that walk you in to, to parse out your inventory. We have a tool. And I have a mentor in recovery that says that the, the pen is the spiritual translator for the, for the addict or alcoholic the compulsive overeater, call it what you want. Um, but that, that the pen is the spiritual translator for us. There's something that happens when I put a pen to paper. And it doesn't happen when I put my, and, and I'm speaking just for myself. It does not happen to me when I put my hands on a keyboard. It only happens for me when I actually put pen to paper. When, there, when I am writing my inventory on a daily basis, I, get, I have the experience that the people in this book um, um, intended me to have. Uh, you know, other forms of, of media and, and whatever, if those work for you, God bless. They just didn't work for me because I tried some of that stuff and it wasn't effective for me. Um, the, the, after that number one offender is, it is from its stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have not only been mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. And this is what I never understood when I entered into to AA. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. Because I had not committed to the, to the specific clear-cut disciplines of the 12 steps as a member of another fellowship, I had not solved the spiritual malady. It had not been overcome in my life. I was still spiritually ill, so I did not straighten out mentally and physically. I had this selfish dishonest notion that I could continue to do with food what I had always done with food and that I wouldn't pay a physical price. And obviously as I aged, 
um, I paid that physical price. 2018 has been a very challenging year for me. I am paying long-term consequences for my obesity and type 2 diabetes. My type 2 is in full remission. I no longer require medication, but I have chronic neuropathy in my legs and feet, and I've lost four toes this year. I've had four toes amputated. So I'm speaking from experience that my mind took me to a place where I thought having type 2 diabetes and chronic neuropathy in my legs, it was okay to continue to consume excessive amounts of sugar and carbs. That's what I was doing. But I would tell you when you challenge me on that, that I'm a member of a recovery fellowship and that I'm executing, you know, I, I could spout the book again. I was really good at defending myself with my recovery ego. Um, we asked ourselves why were we angry. I was angry because I had some deep sense that I had another hill to climb spiritually as a and having thought that I'd arrived, so to speak, as, as in, in this other fellowship. In most cases, we found that it was our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions. Particularly for me, my self-esteem and my ambitions were affected by this deep resentment um, that I had of, of, of being who I am, essentially. Uh, that in 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 my ambition was is that I wanted again I wanted that status I wanted that I'm I'm going to be somebody in this fellowship I'm going to you know I want to be admired I want I like the pats on the back I I I love the attention of being that guy and I have to be very very careful I whenever I speak now or whenever I'm asked to be an opportunity of service, that goes through two people. It goes through my AA sponsor and my OA sponsor. And I give them the context and we say some prayers and do some work so that, I, that I, I'm, I'm really conscious that I'm not accepting the opportunity just to feed my ego. That I'm doing it in a, in a selfless sense of service to the, to the members who are going to be listening. And that's really why I'm here today is it because I know there are other people out there as we speak who are suffering from this untreated aspect of our illness and, and who need to hear my story and how I came to, to, to find what I believe is, is what I experience as authentic recovery. Am I a perfect human being? No. And that's what's authentic about it. I'm a, in some days it's a clown show. Patrick, an absolute clown show. But I, I, when I retire at night, I look at that and I go, oh, here's mess number one. Patrick needs to clean up. Here's mess number two. And then typically I'll have a stretch where it's, it, it's, it's not such a, a, a circus. Um, but that's what I was burned up with. And, and, you know, we have the instructions for the inventory. I'll let all of you work through that with your sponsors. Um, I think the, 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 the piece on 66 that really affects me deeply is it's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. I was living a futile and unhappy life as a member of a recovery fellowship because I had this deep resentment that I was who I was, that I was an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater. And I thought that was just a little more than anybody should be asked to recover from. So one of the questions I ask people is, is you know, are you pissed off about being here? It's pretty, it, it would be pretty normal. You know, anytime I see people with a lot of passion and enthusiasm for recovery, and I think it's wonderful. But there's, there's sometimes I see people who, who I, I, I can sense are just kind of, you know, that fake it till you make it. The, here's the problem I have with fake it till you make it. I'm not against the idea of taking actions until they make sense to you. That, that's perfectly fine to me. 
But faking it till you make it, what if you don't make it? That's my problem with that because people die in here. And they die in the middle of our fellowships not having known that there is a spiritual solution to their problem if they're willing to execute actions that may go against everything they think, believe, or feel. But if you take those actions, you will change. You cannot deny the power, the redemptive power of God in my life. I'll take that one, you know, I'll stand and, 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 and have that conversation with anyone for hours. That the power is demonstrated in my life through how I am today. And how I am today is that I am in a normal weight for a man my size and age. I've lost 165 pounds as a result of my participation in Overeaters Anonymous. And more importantly, I'm a better human being. The physical aspect is a bonus. I am a different man than I was three years ago when I was telling you I was a good man. Today I'm much more likely to have my mouth closed and my hands busy showing you that I'm a good man. Because I found out that this isn't about what I say, it's about what I do and who I be. Um, that instruction on page 67, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had I been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And for me, the, the real thing was here is that my mistake was thinking that I needed to look good in a, in a recovery fellowship. And I mean, I mean in the sense of I know what I'm doing. I mean in the sense of not a physical sense, because obviously when you're as big as I was, it's hard to look good. Now, I bought nice clothes, you know. I, I, I could put a nice drape over the over the the, the ship, so to speak. Um, that being said, um, I thought it was about talking smart, feeling smart, sitting in the front row, hanging with the people that I admired. I thought it was about being in that circle of people who appeared to have something. And and as as I've as I found out in many cases, that's you know for me that is not what it, it's about. Um, down there it says, notice the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties. I had all kinds of fear around what you believed about me, what you thought of me, and I was going to do anything to defend it. I had this naive idea that I could convince you that I was doing the deal if I just talked enough and didn't, and, and meanwhile I wasn't really taking these actions or living up to what this program asked me about. Um, you know, the, the the fears on, on 68, we revered our fears thoroughly. When I got to the fears here, my, my baseline fear was, again, I think what I spoke of a little earlier about is that I'm never going to have any comfort. I'm never going to have any serenity. I'm never going to have any true peace. And I have to tell you that when I came home from my day yesterday, having met with some friends, I was out, I ate in restaurants twice yesterday, I ate in a, I, you know, abstinently, was able to put together abstinent meals, weighing and measuring, because that's what I do, um, in, in restaurants without any rancor or, or trouble, um, and enjoy the people that I was with, and, and, and shop at the Mall of America, and, and I started my day meeting with two of my AA sponsors. I came home last night with a profound sense of, of peace and serenity and gratitude, for what I've experienced as a result of, of my, you know, having been broken yet again. Um, and I was thoroughly broken when I came to AA, but, but, you know, there's, there's some language in this book about the recuperative powers of the ego. And I certainly experienced that as a member of, of, of that fellowship. And I am not in any way holding anyone in that fellowship or the fellowship responsible for that. That was my deal. 
that was what I thought was supposed to happen. And I just, I avoided many aspects of the program until I got to Overeaters Anonymous. And I saw people living this thing authentically with daily spiritual tasks, actions. And for me, some of those spiritual tasks are, are weighing and measuring. For me, some of those spiritual tasks are writing an assignment out of the big book or, or other recovery literature on a daily basis. It is making calls. Those for me are spiritual tasks which feed my spirit, which allow me to live authentically. I don't know if it is for anybody else. I can't, I can't make that decision for anyone. But I can tell you that for me, that's what works. And it's the only thing that will work. I need that level of accountability and, and discipline in my life. And I always had a, an incorrect you know, what we see in this, in how it works in the whole chapter is a disciplined way, a beginning of the disciplined way of life. Again, it's only about the first four steps. Um, but it, it's the beginning of a disciplined way of life. And I always had a pejorative um, definition of discipline as being punishment. And if you look up the word discipline in many of, 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 of the various dictionaries that are available, the word freedom crops up. And I thought I found that to be an interesting um, development. That if I live with discipline, what I experience is freedom. And that's I, I can report to you, and, and I'm the last one that wants to report to you that that's the case. But I can report to you that that's what I experienced today, as a result of being willing to live with all twelve of these spiritual disciplines in my life. I experience freedom, freedom not just from overeating, but but freedom from from self judgment, freedom from from uh, illness. I am healing. You know, a friend of mine made a made a very important uh, point to me in the in the midst of some of my struggles with health this week. I was having a rough day, and 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 a grateful recovered member of Al-Anon, who's a friend of mine, um, pointed out to me. She said, "Oh, Pappy, this is just about you making some amends to your body, buddy. Just give it a rest. Put that self-pity down and let God do his work." And that's really what it is. Is God is making allowing me to make amends to my body. I am healing. Now, is it is it difficult? Yeah. Having your toes sawed off's no fun, but many people have gone through much much worse as a result of this illness. And so, you know, I count my blessings that today I can wear two shoes and that I'm able to, to, to walk fine, and that I have a scooter that if I go long, I had my scooter out at the mall yesterday, and I was, I can be trouble with that thing in a mall. <laughs> yeah, I've got a horn on it, and I, I didn't honk the horn yesterday. I was nice, but, um, and I, I hope you guys see the humor in that. But, and, and here's the piece that I just love on page 68 of our text. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. I had to ask God for the courage to confront my overeating. I had to go to him. After being 12-stepped in Atlanta, I came home and binged eat every day for three weeks. But I could no longer deny that I was in trouble. And in my life, God yells, and then, you know, he, he whispers, and then he talks loud, and then he yells, and then he goes silent. And I got yelled at in Atlanta in a, in a, in a, in a metaphorical sense. That woman who 12-stepped me in, 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 and gave me her OA story had, had yelled at me metaphorically. And then it went silent. When I came home, it was just me and the food and my sick mind and my sick spirit. 
and I could no longer deny the power of God because I had been presented with a known repeatable solution. And I had to access it or die. And if I chose to die, it was not God's will. It was not, it was, it was me resisting what I knew to be God's will for me, which was, here's this other fellowship, get your butt in there, do your work, and go help some folks. Um, they trust their God. We never apologized for God. I shout God from the, from the hilltops today in my fellowships. I think we should be a rallying point for the God of anyone's understanding. And again, it's your own conception of that. I'm not, uh, I'm not telling anybody what they need to believe in or how they need to believe. I'm just saying that we should be a rallying point for the power that we can access through this work and through each other. Um, you know, we asked him to remove our fear. I asked him to remove the fear I had about about deflating my ego and letting go of it, my image of this so-called recovery guru and, and, and whatever, and just allow me to be who he needed me to be. And who he needs me to be is a humble servant who can carry the message of recovery to people in two fellowships and, and in my work um, as an advocate for those who suffer from, from uh, severe uh, mental illness. I, I can, I, and I do my work better. I do my 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 recovery life is better. My personal life is better, and especially my family life is better. I will gather uh, on the upcoming holiday with my with my entire family, and we will share a day. Um, and and I can tell you that what will be present in that room is love and acceptance and tolerance and willingness to engage with each other and to laugh and to cry and to do everything that, that we get to do as human beings. I live my life on the entire spectrum today. It's not just one little speck down the middle of comfort, 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 comfort. I'm willing to engage in the discomfort to find the serenity. I'm willing to engage in the difficulty to find the peace. I'm willing to engage in, in hard, conflicting conversations with people in order to find, you know, some common ground. And I'm also willing to disengage from that and allow people to be who they are, where they are, when they are, without rancor or, or, or intolerance. And again, do I do that perfectly? No, but those, but those values are present for me most days. And I, and I, I, I got to tell you that if I walk out the door with that in my heart, I do a pretty good job. And that's not me, that's God, because the best me is a guy who would tell you he's recovered while he's knocking down a, a, a gallon of ice cream um, and treating his internal condition with, with a substance, um, doing the same thing he did with a bag of donuts that he did with a bottle of whiskey, which is empty it. Um, and so my, my, I hope my life is demonstrated today in my actions um, that, that, that it's different. Um, you know, we get to, uh, we get to the, to the bottom of 70, um, and it says, if we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. You know, I don't even look at people, I don't even propose to have the ability to judge whether you're sick or not. I just look at you as a person, just as a person, and, a, and, a, and as a human being who may have a wide variety of attributes and deficits, just like me. Uh, 
we have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past. I can honestly report to you today that I have straightened out the past to the best of my ability. There are still some amends from for people in AA that, that I need to make. There are still some, some financial amends for um, stealing time from employers that I'm that I'm willing to make and, and we're we're developing the approaches to that. But um, you know in closing, I will say that at the bottom of 70 and, and in 71, in this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. When I sincerely ask God to remove this last bastion, this last barrier to authentic recovery, he did it. But he didn't do it. He, he, you know, when that word with in the prayer, you know, Build with me, Patrick. You need. You got to pick up your shovel. You got to dig. You gotta. You gotta get some lumber. You gotta build this spiritual house with me. I, I can design it for you, but you have to take the actions necessary. And if you want it to be a warm, comfortable house, then you're going to have to get get to work. If you have already made a decision in an inventory of your grocer haptic camps, and then it pushes us to step five. You have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. What I will say about how it works is this. It is just the beginning. You know, we turn the page, and we have real work to do, right? And, and you know, in, in, into action is, are the instructions for five through, through 11. And that's where the rubber meets the road because you can say you've turned your life and your will over to the care of God as you understand them all you want. But if you're not willing to do the next um, nine steps, I would challenge that a little bit. Um, I, I just would. I, I, I just I really believe that us turning our will and our lives over to the care of our higher power indicates that we are willing to take the difficult, uncomfortable actions of the rest of the steps in order to change. And that's what I had to come to. Um, I hope my share has been helpful today. Um, again, I'm, I'm just extremely grateful for the opportunity to, to be on this, this fellowship. Um, I had an opportunity to speak at the convention. Um, I think it was last year or the year before. I'm not sure which, but at, at any rate, um, I just love, I love the, 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 the message that a vision for you has and carries and, and I'm just grateful to be a small part of this wonderful thing that you have here and uh, and uh, I wish you all a happy peaceful abstinent holiday and I will pass thank you thank you so very much Patrick for your profound and compelling testimony this morning thanks for bringing Chapter 5, How It Works to Life, based on your personal experience. Thank you very much. The share ID. Thank you. The share ID for this presentation, 12,331. That's 12331. Patrick's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We are now going to transition to a question-answer segment. Hello? You can pose a question to Patrick by pressing star 1 to unmute and offering your first name, including the first letter of your last name. Anita B. Teresa E. And Karen B. Hello, Anita. I got Anita. I got Marissa. Who'd I miss? Mary Lee R. in Oregon. Mary Lee. 
Roz G. Roz G. Karen B. Karen B. Sherry G. I'm sorry, I missed you. Sherry G. Sherry G. This is a great lineup. So let's go with this. Everybody mute, please, except for Anita B. Good morning. This is Anita B. from New Jersey. Thank you so much, Patrick. Um, You're I, welcome, Anita. So many things you made so clearly, you know, it just was defined. Um, so my question is, um, I'm I'm struggling with 10, 11, and 12, and I didn't know if maybe you could suggest a guideline or a set of questions. I know, I know it's probably clearly in the big book, um, but I need to start somewhere, so I thought... If you could give me some of that direction, that would help. Well, I think the piece that's important is the accountability there. You know, in those instructions, it says we report these to someone immediately. So the thing that I had to do was, was I had to have someone to report that to. I do a daily call with my sponsor. And so it's, it's, I have to do that action of 10 and 11 and and then report what the results of that are to her it's 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 the instructions are clear and they are in the book i can't add anything to that other than what's in the book the book what what's in the book is 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 effective it's the accountability um that's the key to this to this piece it it you know it says when these crop up not if so it's going to happen to me right and so when i'm looking at 10 11 and 12 in in into action um I, I have to be accountable to the idea that I'm doing that, and I do that by writing it out, and then on a call the following morning, I write it out at night, and then at, on on a call the following morning, I report that to my sponsor. I don't know, you know, if if you if you do a daily call with your sponsor, I don't know if you have other members of Overeaters Anonymous in your group who'd be willing to start to engage on that. I know I know that in some circles they develop um, accountability circles where you're where you're talking to each other each day. You know, I'm in how uh, I do OA how and in how I make four phone calls a day. I make one to my sponsor and at least three to other members. And that's what we talk about. We talk about the stuff that we find in some of these. Some of the conversations are short and and brief, but with those who I trust and, and who I've developed relationships with, that's what I talk about is what's developed in those things. So I think the real key around developing a, a specific clear-cut discipline around 10, 11, and 12 is I've got to be accountable to somebody that I'm actually doing it. Because if you leave it up to me, it's a theoretical action. I'll, I'll tell you I did 10, 11, and 12 having never picked up a pen, having never prayed, having taken no time to sit quietly and, and reflect and breathe. Um, and, I, and I'm certainly not going to be out willing willing to engage in any service if I'm not looking at, at my selfishness and dishonesty in this matter. Um, so it's about accountability, Anita. That, that's, that's been my experience. Thank I you. hope that answered your question. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Anita. Marissa E., you're up. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Patrick. This is Marissa E. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater outside Los Angeles. Patrick, you talked about um, how you had a fear, which I do too, about that you won't be accepted as I am. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm right with this authentic recovery. I just want to hear about what that genuineness looks like today for you. Well, what I found out was is that is that in our fellowships, we don't connect at the level of our recoveredness. We connect at the level of our brokenness. 
the reason this works is when somebody new walks in the door and we see them and we and, and there's that tear in their eye or that look on their face or maybe they're just super pissed off about being there or there's that resigned, you know, sort of Jesus, really? Um, that's where we connect with each other. We connect at that brokenness. And if I remember that essentially everybody is in that room is is broken in some way, right? In, in maybe not in exactly the same way that I am, but that I'm broken. And that we're, what we're there to do is to seek a power that helps us heal. That that just then I'm just in the boat with everybody else. Um, I am no, you know, uh, I I am no better or no worse. I'm just just another person seeking this power um, in order to heal. And and it's the idea that nobody in that room has the power to help me heal because our book is very clear. It says no human power. You know, you can give me all the advice in the world about how to eat, but it wasn't until I turned that whole thing over to God and started living a highly accountable life in a really uncomfortable way that I was able to to achieve anything resembling abstinence. So it's it's important to remember I think that that the acceptance the the idea that I won't be accepted is really part of that that self delusion that I talked about. You know, I was welcomed with open arms. I was I was hugged, I was accepted with compassion and 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 love in my in my home group now i'm i'm very fortunate to have a, a lively face-to-face oa uh, meeting culture here in 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 minneapolis so i don't propose that that's the case for everyone listening to this call today but that being said i do know how vibrant this this um a vision for you is and and, and the phone culture in oa how is very vibrant as well and people connect um, and, and if I'm willing to do the work to reaching out, um, I, I can connect with people at that level of brokenness and walk this path to healing and, and authentic recovery with them. But that's where it starts for me is just I, I realize that nobody cares how much I can spout the big book. Nobody cares how many podiums I've been at. Nobody cares about that. They want me to be well. They want me to be whole. They want what's best for me. The people that, that, that want that are in my life already, um, and if they don't want that, I can develop healthy boundaries and, and, and you know, and love them from afar. So uh, it's really, uh, that that's my experience with that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Marissa E. Mary Lee R., star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Mary Lee R. and Eugene, Oregon. Thank you so much. Um, recovered just for today. You um, you answered my question, and I just want to salute out to St. Louis Park was um, where I uh, reached my bottom in my uh, first um, recovery through AA and then later found um, OA. And thank you so much for being of service. You're welcome. Thanks, Mary Lee. Roz G, your turn. Good morning, Patrick. Thank you so much for your share. It was very humorous in a lot of ways. Um, and my question is, is that you may have already answered this, but if you could repeat, what was the straw that broke the camel's back that finally had you surrender? Um, it was, it really was that, 
that woman in Atlanta at the it was the whole the whole convention experience that I had the international convention in Atlanta there's 60,000 people at that convention typically every five years we have it in AA it's a very powerful experience and I was in the midst of a fellowship that I deeply loved and I couldn't participate at the, the the way that I wanted to because I was physically compromised so badly by the obesity and I kept seeking out food you know I, I, I stood in lines for long periods of times to get you know binge foods um, and it just was it was this sort of I just knew that I had sullied uh, what this thing was about with this other issue and and it it's really the same issue it manifested in a different symptom but the issue was is I was I, I was suffering from the spiritual malady that's what the idea was so the really the straw that broke the back that 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 got me to surrender was I, I can't really describe here's what happened I got 12 step at that convention by that woman who you know poked a hole in me and over the next three weeks, I, you know, on, on, on August, in one weekend in August, I woke up on the Saturday of that weekend determined to binge eat all day, and I did. And the next morning I woke up and I knew I was going to go to the meeting that night, and I can't tell you how that happened. I, I just knew I was going to go, and I went to that meeting, and at the end of that meeting somebody asked me a very rude and personal question and that was what are you going to have for breakfast <laughs> and <laughs> and i said i said to them uh i don't know smart guy why don't you tell me and and then he did he actually told me what to eat and and we went one meal at a time from that point on into abstinence and i was able to get a nutritionist and do every and begin to do the other things that oh how asked but they sort of eased me into it over the course of the next week but um, that's, you know, I got, I got surrendered by a, a series of events that I could no longer deny were God's will for me. And, and I guess I just one that, that Sunday morning I woke up and God had granted me the willingness. I, I don't know that I manufactured that. I can't tell you, I made a decision that I was going to join OA because that was about the last thing on my list of shit to do. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I was not, I was not a very, uh, I was not happy about that development in my life. I can tell you that. I am profoundly grateful today, but I still have, you know, so, I mean, if if you tell me 15 years ago when I when I enter into recovery that I'm going to be a member of two fellowships at, at in 2018, I, you know, I might have some objections to that idea. I'm, I'm profoundly grateful that I am today, obviously. I, I embrace my life as it is, but, you know, that's not what I had in mind. I, I just wanted to quit drinking. I mean, that's that's really... That that was it. So, turns out there's a lot more work than just that. So, you know, I, I had to, I had to, I had to really apply these these tools and principles to the spiritual malady. And by the tools, I mean the steps, the simple kit of spiritual tools that's laid at our feet. I really had to effort some clear cut discipline on that. So, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Roz G. Karen B. Star One, your Good morning. turn. Good morning. This is Karen B. Um, covered compulsive overeater for today. Thank you for your very inspirational um, story this morning. Um, my question was about Step Ten. When you are working on your Step Ten at night, do you have a certain form, or do you just journal, or 
Is there a specific nope. structure that you use? Yeah, I use a structure that's in the in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I just answer the questions. Um, it's it's really pretty simple. Um, you know, when we retire at night, uh, we would constructively review our day. Was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? I just write those out. Was I? If it's yes, then I write out how. Uh, do I owe an apology? Yes or no question. Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Um, typically, the, the, the answer to that is no these days, but occasionally it will happen. Was I kind and loving towards all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? There's, you know, there's, there's about 10 questions or about eight questions or nine questions there. I, I can't get full count, but... You know, I answer those, and then it says, but if we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others, you know. Um, and, and that, you know, the, the piece about uh, reporting that, again, I, I think the biggest thing that people, that, that, that I continually end up having to, to guide people on is, is that we report this to someone immediately. If you're not, if you can write a hundred tenth steps, and if you're not being accountable to what's showing up in that inventory with someone else immediately, it is a theoretical practice at that point. It is not a practice. Because what we do after a fourth step is a fifth step. And all ten is, is a, is a, is a you know, the, the step says it. We continue to take personal inventory. I learned how to take inventory with a pencil in my hand or a pen. That's how I learned to do it in step four, right? So if I'm continuing that practice, then that practice results in me revealing that to someone and being accountable to the actions that I need to take to clean it up. I think the place where people get into this repetitive thing with step 10 is, is they write it out, they look at it, they go, I got to change that, assuming they have the power to change that, and they don't. That's the whole idea. I don't have the power to change. If I did, I wouldn't be on this phone call. I would have changed a long time ago. I wouldn't have had four toes sawed off this year as a consequence of my compulsive overeating. I would have changed. I'm not stupid. I am a compulsive overeater, and I am utterly and completely powerless over this. So it is this high level of accountability that I see many people in recovery sort of, yeah, well, that's not for me. Well, good luck. Because it is, it, 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 whether you believe it's for you or not, what if that's what's required by your disease in order to recover? Because the disease could care less what you think or believe. The disease just is. It'll, it just seeks to kill. And so this idea that I can somehow uh, machinate a way of doing this other than what's exactly in the book, this precise, you know, that it says it in the forward to the first edition, precisely how we have recovered. You know, people accuse me of being a mechanic with this. And I said, well, if you've got a mechanic that puts six spark plugs in an eight-cylinder engine, good luck with how that's going to run for you. So I, I take that as a compliment, that I am a mechanic and that I do this as precisely as I'm humanly possible on, on a daily basis. But I had to have help with that. And the help is, is I have other people who are doing it with me that I'm accountable to. So I hope that answered your question. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Karen. Sherry G., your turn. Did you say Sherry G.? I did. You did? Okay. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, thank you. Patrick, thank you so much. Uh, that was really awesome. Leah, thank you so much for um, your service. Um, early um, in uh, your talk, Patrick, you talked about uh, the concept uh, that we hear, and I've also used it, taking my will back. And you said we really mm -hmm. don't do that. Can you uh, clarify that a little more so that I can understand sure. that? Thank so if, if you've done a third step, and and with it, to me it's it's you know so so we we enter into recovery and and we we take these steps right we admit I'm I admit I'm powerless and that my life is unmanageable, and that means my internal life not my external circumstances. And then I come to step two. I come to believe in a power greater than me, whatever that may look like, however simple that concept is, and it gets to be our concept. And then step three says, you know, I I, I have a specific prayer or I can I can I can write out my own. I believe that if if you if you sincerely say that prayer, whatever it may be, whether it's the one in the book or the one that you you know where where it says the wording is quite optional, I believe if, that if you at that point sincerely say that prayer and turn your life and your will over to the care of God, you don't get it back. What you experience is the pain of resisting God's will for you. I turned my will and my life over to God in Alcoholics Anonymous at about week three, right? And any difficulty or pain that I've experienced as a result of what I believe the taking my will back is simply been resistance to what he intends for me. I don't get my will back. God doesn't give it back. He just sits quietly watching me suffer while I resist his will. While I walk, if, if, if I do his will, which for me is these specific clear-cut disciplines of the 12 steps and helping other people, then I live a pretty peaceful and serene life. You know, there's not a whole lot of rodeo. Um, even with my, my difficulties this year, I've been out of work for six months because of my health, whatever. I walked through that with a fair amount of composure and, and, and peace. Now, I'd be less than honest with you if I told you every day has been a, been a, you know, a peach. That's not the case. It's, it sucked some days. But I haven't had to beat other people up with that. So the idea that I can I can give my will to God and then he's just going to say, oh, here you go, you can have it back. I just that's not a concept that's ever made any sense to me. I think God ex humbly, lovingly, kindly, compassionately accepts my will, and then allows me the the dignity of having my own path with resisting His. That's really the what, what I believe, because the suffering I experience as a member of a recovery fellowship has all occurred simply because I wouldn't follow these few simple rules. I would not do what the book asked me to do, all of it, as to the best of my ability. And it's not that I have to be so super precise and mechanical about it. It's that I have to give effort to it all. I can't let anything out, right? I can't leave anything that feels inconvenient or difficult. So one of the things I point out to people is go look at that A-step list if you have one. And if you don't, that's a problem. But if you have an A-step left, are all the boxes checked? Or are there remaining amends? Because that's, that's, you know, God's will is for you to make all your amends. It's my belief in this program that we're supposed to make them all wherever possible, except when to do so would harm others, right? Or have we been diligent about that? Have we considered that with another people, person? And again, so much of this is, is about the accountability to other people who are sharing this path with me. I have an insanely high level of accountability in my life that is, really effective and it's uncomfortable 
every morning I wake up and I go, really? 545. I'm going to call somebody at 545 to report what I'm going to put in my mouth today and share with them the intimate details of my existence the day before. Hmm, that's an interesting way to live. And then I do it, and then my life gets better. So and, and that so apparently that's God's will for me is to do that, to live that way. And I resisted that idea for a long time, and I suffered. So I, I believe the suffering isn't that I get my will back. It's that God won't return it to me, and I experience the consequence of that. That maybe God's will is that I live an authentic, recovered life. Does that make sense? Thank you so much. It really does. Okay. Thank you, Sherry. We can take another group with questions. This will be the final invitation for questions. Gina R. Gina R. Linda G. Is that Linda G? Yes. Got it. Julia E. from California. Julia E. Katie D. Kathy Joe P. Kathy Joe. Kathy Joe. Who was after Kathy Joe? Suji. Morazi. Suji. Morazi. Okay. That's a great group. Thank you, everybody. Mm -hmm. Except for Gina R., please. Thank you so much, Leah. And hi, Patrick. This is Gina R. I'm um, in Green Valley, Arizona. And First, I want to say... I bet it's warmer there than it is here. Oh, yeah. 22 degrees here. Yeah, we're going to probably quadruple that for you today. Um, I am blessed and privileged that somehow um, news of your situation with your toes got to me, and I got to be one of your intercessors. And so I'm Mm. just glad to hear you on the line this morning. But my question Mm. for you is, you you kept saying, you know, why me, why me, why me? I'm wondering... Mm. Did did God ever bring you to the point where um, the question is, why not me? And if mm. so, what did that mean for you? Thank yeah, you. absolutely. It, it, and that started happening almost immediately upon me sponsoring another man in Overeaters Anonymous. It became evident to me that, yeah, that, that you know, I got real clear on the idea that, that God needs soldiers, right? that he can't do it on his own. If he could do this work on his own, he would have just struck us all well and and whatever. But that he gave us this gift of recovery with each other to connect us. And I and th- that that's really the state that I live in today is this idea of heck yeah, why not me? I'm a soldier. Let me let me strap my backpack on and go to work every day and just try to carry this message to the best of my ability and more importantly to live these principles in my life as effectively as I can. Um I think, you know, a much more important demonstration in our homes, occupations, and affairs. How am I showing up at home? How am I showing up at work? How am I showing up in my personal life and in, in, in my other affairs? You know, is it just gas station cash register honesty, or am I being honest about every aspect of my life to the best of my ability? Because um, it's easy for me to give the $5 bill back at the cash register, but, you know, um, you know, am I going to lie to my accountant about that five thousand dollar tax bill I have? You know, if, if if that makes any sense. So, yes, I do. I do have a deep sense of gratitude now for the fact that it is now. Why not me? Um, I got there. I I I released my sense of victimhood around that, and that's been a process of of help with with some oddly enough some some members of Al-Anon that I have in my life have been very helpful in that 
that realm for me of, you know what, Patrick, we didn't ask to be an Al-Anon either. You know, we didn't ask to have alcoholics that we love in our life. Um, you might want to get over yourself a little bit on that. You know, I, I need people that will ask me very pointed and rude questions and stick their nose in my business um, and just, you know, kind of kick me in the rear end to get past that stuff. And, and gratefully, I have those people in my life today. I've invited them in and I keep them in my life to do that because I know that my delusional mind can get me back to that idea that, that I got screwed somehow. I'm, you know, the life I have today is, is better than anything I could have come up with, certainly. So I, I, um, I, am, I am at that place, well, why not me? Um, I, I really am today, uh, but it, it just, you know, I share my experience and my experience was that ain't, you know, that ain't the way it showed up originally. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Gina. Lynn Stern, star Good morning. one. Uh, Linda G from Massachusetts. Um, Patrick, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, for your qualification this morning. I could identify with a lot of it. And um, my question to you is, um, <clears throat> and I don't know if this is an outside issue or not, um, I did come into the Mother Fellowship in um, 19, January 1st, 1981, and um, <clears throat> switched seats on the Titanic immediately. I was 27. Mm-hmm. And um, so where I live, which is an island off of Cape Cod, all the food meetings, everything is gone. There's no more OA, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mm -hmm. um, So I go to um, five to eight AA meetings a week, and then Mm -hmm. I do almost all three hours of a vision for you. And, um, of course, in a vision is where I'm really finding the big book coming alive. Mm I just wanted to know, when you go to the Mother Fellowship, do you try to think of yourself as a compulsive overeater, or do you think of yourself as a member of that group? Well, I respectfully follow the traditions of each of the fellowships. And so the tradition of, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is that, that you know they deal with alcoholism and the tradition of O'Readers Anonymous is that they deal with O'Readers Anonymous. Now, per your question, because of the lack of availability of meetings for you, you know, I, I think it's it's not so much important how the how the symptoms manifest in my life is that I identify with the fact that I have this spiritual malady that creates the manifestation of the symptom. And I have this allergy. Now, if your allergy is with food and not liquor, I don't know that that's that much different because I think this, the, the level of humiliation that we suffer no matter what is, is, is relative the same. But I'm always respectful of the traditions of the fellowship that I'm in. I do talk about, in AA, I do talk about the fact that I suffered from untreated alcoholism for many years and it manifested itself in another symptom. And and that's the way I, I you know, I'm, I'm careful with my vocabulary. Uh, as I do, and, and you just heard me on this, I share a little more on a vision for you about my membership in AA than I do in my OA How meeting. I, I you know, I'm, I refer to it, but I'm, I'm pretty careful at trying to follow the tradition that we deal with, you know, compulsive overeating and, and other forms of, of uh, of eating disorder in Overeaters Anonymous, and we 
deal with alcoholism in AA. I'm just careful to respect their traditions. Your situation is is one that you know is is completely different than mine. I, I have you know Minneapolis is like the 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 hub of recovery fellowships there because a, a treatment culture grew up here so much in the 60s and 70s. We have access to just about everything. There are an active debtors anonymous, there's active gamblers anonymous, there's active narcotics anonymous, there's active AA, there's active OA, there's, you know, I, I am just very fortunate geographically to be to be here. So I think it's probably simpler for me to, to delineate those things. Um, but, I, you know, I, if it's working for you, don't change it. And if, you know, I, I think just be respectful of the tradition of the fellowship that you're attending and, and do the best you can to, to remember that. And, and, you know, I wouldn't get too wrapped up about it. I hope that answered okay. your question. Yes, thank you. Thank Thanks, you Linda well. G. Julie E., your question, please. Julia, pardon me. Julie. Thanks so much, Leah. Thanks, uh, Patrick. I really appreciate your qual you know, your share with us this morning. And um so this is what has been cropping up for me. Um I, I really like it that, you know, you you have members, other members of this program. I know that it's a we program. I can't work it alone. However, I had an experience where I made like the step study group that I was in as like um, a false god. Once it ended, I felt um, empty. Also, this is what was going on in my recovery. I was bringing it to my sponsor, to my fellows, and all of a sudden um, I was people-pleasing. So mm -hmm. I lost sight of the truth. I was trying mm -hmm. to please others because I had so mm -hmm. much fear. So I wasn't addressing it in my staff work, and I was wanting to know, when you're in denial, what is the best um, form of, I mean, do you take it through the steps, or do you bring it to your attention of your uh, well, advisors? There's there's two things that typically occur for me, because I do have three or four people in my life that have absolute spiritual license for me. Typically it gets reported to me <laughs> that something's going on that they're noticing um, because my life is so transparent. And then, but secondly, the, that word denial is an interesting one for me that, that I think bears some examination occasionally. If we're accurate about the state of mind that we live in that is contained in the first three chapters of the big book, um, and the doctor's opinion. The doctor clearly states in early in his writing that I cannot differentiate the true from the false. And the word delusion is is used um, repeatedly in those instructions around step one. So my experience has always been that any resistance I have to any work from two to twelve is rooted in an idea that I can somehow control when I eat and what I eat, when I eat and how I eat it. Um, so in other words, it's a step one proposition. Is my life really unmanageable? I will, you know, what am I trying currently attempting to manage? Because in, in, when I say, you know, and, and I don't mean to, to split hairs here, but the word denial is an interesting one because that would, that would mean that I 
I understand what the truth in my life might be, and I'm just saying no to it. But if I accept the idea that, that, you know, the main problem with the alcoholic centers in the mind rather than the body, as the book says, and I live in this delusional state of mind, delusion is a separation from reality. Okay? And that's a considerably deeper problem than just acknowledging a truth and saying no to it. That means I do not know what the truth is in my life and that I need other people to report that to me and that I need their hand and their guidance to walk out of that. So that's where this, the level of accountability that I experience in the form of, the, of OA that I use, which is OA How, is so helpful for me. The execution of, of the tools, and I'm not, again, I'm not promoting this, I'm just sharing my experience. This is what I need. I need this high level of accountability. Um, that's what helps me see what I need to see so I'm not deluding myself about my condition. I have an AA mentor who's been asking me for years, Patrick, is it possible you're in more trouble than you think you are? What if, the, what, if you, what you're using to assess your current situation is the problem, your mind, right? We spend, I think we spend a, too much time trying to self-diagnose with a delusional set of assessing tools. I just kind of need to work the solution. And, and be accountable to what I'm doing with that solution, and then my life team seems to get better. So when I experience resistance to any aspect of this, I know that it's my mind deluding me into the idea that I can somehow effectively manage my internal condition spiritually, and I can't. If I could, again, I wouldn't be on this call. I, w I would be doing that. I, I wouldn't have needed to, to show up in any 12-step fellowship. Um, I would have just simply fixed my problems and moved on. So it gets back to that idea of, you know, where are you at today with the idea that you're utterly powerless over food and that your internal life is unmanageable without 2 through 12? That, that's, to me, that's a, and, and listen, when we get some time in this fellowship or any fellowship, you get some time and you get some, 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 some reward, it's easy to lose sight of that idea that I'm just as crippled today as the day I walked in the fellowship, right? I'm as powerless today over food as I was, you know, three years ago. Now, do I do it completely differently? Yep, but that ain't because of me. So I think typically that's where I have to, what I have to do is I got to go back and look at where am I at, at with step one today? Not, you know, six months ago, not a year ago, but <clears throat> today. And then I will seek this power with more enthusiasm and maybe uh, with a little more precision as the book asks us to do. So I hope that answered your question. Oh, it, it sure did. Thanks, Patrick. I'll pass. Thank you, Julia E. Katie G., your turn. Good morning, Leah. Thanks for your service. And good morning, Patrick. Always a delight to hear you. I think you've answered this question like a hundred times, but I love hearing it. Love mm -hmm. hearing you talk about ego reduction um, mm -hmm. and the emergence of the ego and how that happens on a daily basis. And just mm -hmm. wanted to know, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but any any other suggestions? I appreciated what you said. The <clears throat> The time that we get in program, you know, can kind of, lead us into brownouts if we're not careful and uh and the emergence of the ego so any other comments on on yeah i, I really do think be great. a little more on that idea of time katie it's it's time is the enemy for anybody in a recovery fellowship and i know we celebrate time um 
But I, my perspective on this has really been, you know, my experience as a member of a twelve of a twelve step fellowship who is picking up chips on a regular basis and not living authentically in the in the in the principles of that fellowship. I can tell you that that you know my distance from a drink or my distance from my last food binge has nothing to do with my spiritual condition. I can eat completely abstinently today and walk out of this house and be a donkey, a complete jackass to people. Um, and that's happened. Uh, so I, I do think this idea that time is sufficient to make me better is really what we have to look out for. And and again, it, I think I spoke of it a little bit in the in the previous question is that I have to examine this my willingness to entertain the idea that I'm as powerless today over food as I was the day I walked in here. Now, have I done? Will I do a good job of seeking power today? Yes, I'm on this phone call with all of you. I you know I prayed and meditated this morning. I wrote out my food plan and I you know I do the things I need to do to seek this power. Right? I took actions, clear cut actions, things, tasks. And again, I'm not a guy that wants to report to you that in order to dig a hole, you actually have to stick a shovel in the ground, but it turns out that's how, that's how you have to dig a hole. And if you want to build a spiritual structure, you have to do the tasks that are required. This isn't a, a you know, I, I am so disengaged from the idea that I can intellectually manage this, this program these days. I know that it's a task-oriented um, daily thing. And, and honestly, I get a lot of resistance about that. I, I When I have these conversations with people in 12-step fellowships, hey, yeah, it's not the way. It, and I'm like, okay, that's your experience. I got to do this stuff every day or, or I'm, I'm, I'm out of it. So the way that the ego deflation happens with me is through this inventory process. And then again, it's this report to someone immediately. I have to be honestly transparent with someone. And I have to be willing to accept their feedback as it is without resistance to, and I have to be, if, if they say, listen, I think you need to go have a conversation with this pe person and clean that mess up. I got to be willing to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to walk around with spiritual disturbance. And we all know that I don't live well in discomfort. If I experience discomfort, I'm going to seek comfort. And eventually that's going to lead to a drink or, or, or a cookie for me. And, and, it, and, and either one's just as deadly for me. It doesn't matter which one it is. And, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, I mean, I, I was asked a little earlier about what the straw was, the straw that broke the camel's back. I had some sense at the end of my binge eating that I was going to drink if I didn't do something about my compulsive overeating. And I just knew that that couldn't, you know, that was not an acceptable outcome for my, more so for my family than anything else. It was the idea that I was, this, you know, supposedly I had, I had built up this idea that I was okay with my family and they knew I wasn't okay because they could see it. I mean, the thing about morbid obesity is it's morbid obesity. It ain't hard to tell. Um, and so I, I really appreciate your question, Katie, because I, I do think it's something that is a daily sort of diligence around, okay, where am I at with the idea that I'm powerless today? Where am I at with the idea that I need to seek God? Where am I at with the idea of, of, of assessing my day and reporting that immediately to someone? Am I willing to take these character defects to God and be patient enough to be willing to, to allow him to remove them on his timetable and not mine? 
um, am I willing to experience some difficult periods in my life in order to have new awarenesses? Because I got to tell you, laying in a hospital bed for the amount of time that I've laid in the hospital bed this year, I've had some really deep spiritual experiences in there because I've been compelled to turn to prayer instead of victimhood. I mean, you know, it's you, you can lay in that bed and flip that coin and choose to be, you know, hey, I need another med or, hey, I'm going to say a prayer and call somebody, you know. Um, that, that's really what it came down to me for with with in a lot of days this year. So I really appreciate your question because I do think it's that daily that daily thing of, you know, this thing's waiting at the side door and if I, if I unlock that door just the least little bit, it's going to slip in and be in my house. And once it gets in the house, I'm in trouble. Um, I, I just, it's, you know, it's the repricious creditor. That's those words in the big book about this thing being the repricious creditor just makes so much sense to me because that word repricious is a powerful word. If you look up the definition of repricious, it's, it ain't a pretty thing. Um, so um, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm I'm grateful for the people in my life that helped me check that ego because um, it ain't easy. I mean, you know, I'm a guy. I'm a you know, I like to bloviate about stuff, especially about recovery stuff, because I, you know, it, I've been told that I can communicate rather effectively in some cases, and that ain't always good news for me because I can feed my ego with that ability. So I have to be very careful and diligent about, you know, humbly serving in this capacity when I'm asked. So I hope that answered your question. Very Thanks. much so. Thank you. Thank you, Katie G. Kathy G., your turn. Star one to unmute. Kathy G. All right. Perhaps she had to step away. All right. Let's go to Kathy Joe P. <clears throat> Kathy Joe, you're on the list right now. <laughs> Is this Kathy Joe? Hello? Yeah, Kathy. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you well. Can you hear me, Leah? Okay. All right. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much, Patrick, for your share. You are a huge part of my and my walk simply because you live it like your hair is on fire in service, and I so appreciate that. I want to ask you, if you were to talk to someone that walked in the doors and they had three days of abstinence, what living it like your hair is on fire means to you? That's something we use a lot in our meeting, and I would love you to talk about living this program as if your hair is on fire. Thank you. Well, I I think it's it's... Again, I, you know, I know I keep coming back to this theme, but for me, it's accountability. I've got to be accountable with what's, first of all, I've got to be, the first thing I had to do in the first question I got asked at that meeting that I showed up in at St. Louis Park is, what are you going to have for breakfast tomorrow? Right? And that's a rude question to ask a compulsive reader of my type. You don't get to, you don't get to get next to that. Right? You ain't taking it away from me. Um. And so I really think that, that you know, it, it becomes that accountability, first with what's going in my mouth, and then how am I showing up in the world? You know, how, what am I willing to do to change? Because it turns out that this isn't about what I'm putting in my mouth to comfort this malady that I have. 
it's it's you know what actions am I willing to take to change and I can't do that overnight I can't you know that's that's where thank God one day at a time and, and this specific clear-cut set of directions that we have in the book is laid out in a in a in an order and I really believe that this order was divinely inspired in a way that makes sense to people like us and gives us the time to process the experience of it as opposed to having an opinion about it um, you know, all I can do is, is, is take them by the hand and say, are you willing to do what I did in order to get where I am? Um, and so, you know, living to, to me, living with your hair on fire is just allowing them to do the best they have that day. And if that's falling flat on their face, guess what? That's the best they got. Um, you know, this idea that I think we have to have some understanding of what I always try to say is this, this ain't a fair fight. And it, there's no guarantee that God's winning every day. You know, how many people are going to be buried today because of, of health issues that are caused by, by uh, anorexia or bulimia or compulsive overeating and obesity and, and all the related health? How many people are going to go in the ground today? And here's the other thing about this illness too that, that I think is, is interesting is that if I showed up at work today with a 12-pack of Mountain Dew and a bag of donuts and, and three-quarter pounders with cheese and whatever else that I consume on a, on a compulsive basis, nobody's going to say a word. If I showed up with a bottle of whiskey and put it on my desk and started taking a shot every two hours, everybody would freak out and call HR. So it's sort of the hidden, un, unspoken thing. And I think we have a responsibility as recovered members of Overeaters Anonymous to confront that as compassionately we can. But I got to tell you, I was at the Mall of America yesterday. I, a 520-pound guy sat down next to me, right? And, and I, the only reason I know he's 520 is because I just pulled up the, the picture of what I used to look like on my phone, and I just, I just elbowed him, and I said, hey, take a look at this, pal. And he looked at it, and he looked at me, and he was pissed off. And I said, if you ever want to know how I got where I am today, without surgery, give me a call. And I handed him a card and I got up and I walked away. I don't know if he's going to call me or not, but I know I'll sleep tonight knowing that I carried the message of somebody that, that isn't abstinent. And that's how I try to live with my hair on fire is that, that I'm, I'm willing to look the disease in the eye and I'm willing to have love and compassion for those who are suffering it. Um, you know, if you're three days abstinent, I don't know about you, I was a basket case at three days. I, my my life was a shit show. Uh, pardon my French, but it, it's, I was experiencing sugar withdrawal. I was experiencing emotional upheaval. It was I just needed kindness, support, and accountability. I had people calling me every you know hour on the hour. It seemed like because um, that's kind of what what happens and how is they rally up and that phone starts lighting up like a Christmas tree. It's like God, these people are really weirdos. Um, but it turns out they love you and they want you to be sober. So living for me, you know, what I would tell somebody with three days of abstinence is get in here and do your best and be accountable. That's how, that's how I'd answer that question. So. Thank you, Kathy Joe. Sue G, your turn for a question. Good morning. Um, thank you so much, um, Patrick, for your, your um, presentation. Mm -hmm. I, I have a question about 
step three, when you did the third step prayer and the way you described it, it mm-hmm. sounded an awful lot like surrendering to God and not just surrendering to working the rest of the program. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I wish you just, um, it sounded almost like a spiritual experience to me. So mm-hmm. I'd just like you to maybe expound on that a little bit. Uh, well, it was in, in, in the sense of, I think the spiritual experience for me was just releasing this idea that I didn't have more work to do. Um, you know, it just became evident to me that there was another hill to climb um, and that I wasn't going to climb that alone. Um, you know, my family of origin stuff has created in me some belief systems and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go deep here, but created some beliefs in, in me that I need to be independent and I need to, to do things, you know, I need to figure it out for myself. That's just a conditioning that I received when I was a child. I grew up in a home where um, I had to survive, and and I did. And But surviving isn't necessarily thriving. And so when I got to step three in Overeaters Anonymous, the spiritual experience was the awareness that if I just followed directions to the best of my ability, if I just was, was willing to be accountable to this, Again, and I do how, and, and, and that's so there's very specific things laid out there for, for you. I, I needed that. I, that's just what I needed. I don't know if anybody else does. I'm not going to claim that you do or not. Um, but I needed this, and, and that, the experience was, the surrender was, is the, was the willingness to follow those directions. I turned my life and my will over to the care of the people and the process of, uh, the meeting and the, and the method that, that we employ, which is based out of the big book, by the way. Um, and, and, you know, my life began to change almost immediately. And, and the first byproduct of that surrender, as you put it, was my obsession to overeat was removed almost immediately. I was able to weigh and measure. Um, I was able to, you know, purchase the right things, although there were a few days where I had to go to the grocery store four different times to get what I needed, but I was willing to do that. I was just in, I was just, there was, there was this willingness just was granted to me. And, and I think that that's a result of that being 12 step in Atlanta, the way I was and that, and her just poking a big enough hole to let enough air out of the idea that I was a recovered member of any fellowship and to accept the idea that, A, I was powerless and that obviously my life was unmanageable. And then if I really did believe in this power in step two, that, that had I come to believe that, that I was, that, that, then, then what this power was presenting me with was membership in another 12-step fellowship and doing what they asked me to do. Um, and so I, I, you know, I do think that that was the surrender, was the idea that I needed to just shut my mouth and do as I was directed without, an opinion about the experience, just have the experience. Um, and I, you know, I, today I'm profoundly grateful for that today for sure. Cause you know, I'll, I'm, I'm having one of the best holiday seasons I've ever had. And I've had a interesting year to say the least as, as I reported earlier. So, um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Yes. Thank you. Thanks to G. Our final question for this morning comes from Maura Z. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so very much for your service. Patrick, thank you for um, an amazing share and qualification. 
and uh, clarification on a lot of points. I wrote down a quote um, of yours. Um, As a result of living a disciplined life, I have freedom. And I am um, failing miserably mm. at, um, at developing a new discipline, which is new to me because I've not been doing it, obviously. So I'm, I'm, I know that you've beaten this dead horse a few times now, but could you tell me what's involved for you when you want to develop a new discipline? In other words, letting go of yet another character defect? Yes, absolutely. The, you know, one of the things, that, one of the notions you'll hear in recovery circles is that there's no instructions in the big book about step six, right? That there's not much about step six. And there's everything about step six in it. So if you turn to the page on in Into Action um, where where they describe it says, if we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all things which we have admitted are objectionable? Question mark. Do you find what you're trying to release objectionable? Your actions would indicate that you do not yet find it objectionable, that it is serving some purpose for you. There's some payoff in it. Hmm. Not changing, there's some payoff there. Second, can he now take them all, every one, question mark, how willing are you to give it up? If you're not very willing, here's the, I mean, this says it, this is all anyone ever needs to know about step six, in my humble opinion. And I love what's in the 12 and 12, but the 12 and 12 is Bill Wilson's experience at 15 years sober. And it wasn't my experience. My experience was when I execute this next action, stuff starts to change. If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. Are you willing to ask the the higher power in your life to be willing and accept that it may not change on your timetable? You know, we go from undisciplined with an expectation of, you know, I've lived an undisciplined life for 50 some, 55, 56 years before I got to OA. And then my expectation is, is that I'm going to be perfectly disciplined in three months. I, all I was instructed to do was to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and take the actions that were indicated. And again, I'm going to get back to this, and I know I've pounded this repeatedly today, but this is, unless I'm accountable to somebody with this stuff, I'm not doing it. Because if I could do it without being accountable, I wouldn't be on the phone today. That's just the truth for me. I would have fixed it. I'd have moved on. I wouldn't need a 12-step fellowship. I would have quit drinking when, I, when, when it was indicated to me that there was a problem. I have to be accountable. So any discipline I believe in my life that I need to develop, I first have to report to someone that I'm struggling with something. I have to go to my higher power and ask for the willingness to change. And then I have to be accountable to somebody with how I'm going to change. That's just the way it works for me. And and listen, that's a bigger ask than I signed up for when I came in here because I wanted the magic wand experience. I wanted the, oh, you're going to be okay. Just ask God for some willingness and he'll change you and everything's going to be fine. And it turns out that this is day-to-day work. This is a grind. This is this is effortful, committed, responsible, uh, hard work in, in, in a lot of cases in order for me to change even the slightest things that I have that are tripping me up. So. 
I don't know if that was helpful or not. It may not be what you want to hear, but that's been my 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 experience and my truth is that for me to change, I got to first go to God and then I got to be accountable to somebody about how I'm going to change. And then I have to report what the results of those actions are on a daily basis. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, You're Patrick. Welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, Maura Z. Thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. And of course, Thank you, Patrick. It's been a pleasure to spend some time with you this morning, and it's been so helpful. Um, yeah, Leah, thank you for your amazing service to this fellowship and, and your continued kindness and support on my behalf. And, and to all you on the phone, I'm really grateful for your for your time and your questions and your willingness to engage in this with me. I'm, I'm just really grateful to be a member, so thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Grateful to be trudging with you. We're going to close from page 164. You'll find it in a chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.